If you would please stand so your child can find you and they're going to sit with you for the remainder of the service. Thank you for getting them here. For an encore. <laughs> Slim to none. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, first through third grade choir, for coming tonight and helping us in worship. We're going to receive the Lord's Supper tonight, and uh, there are some indications in the, in the Bible about how we should go about doing it. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 17 through 24. Sermon's entitled Remembering with Joy because I think there ought to be an element of joy when we observe the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 11, starting with verse, it says 23 in the, in the bulletin, but I'm going to start reading at verse 17 so we can kind of get a running start and understand the context of the uh, observance of the Lord's Supper in Corinth. 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. So you can tell Paul is pretty upset with the church at Corinth. And this is why. For in the first place, when you assemble as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must not be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you meet together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One is hungry, another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Verse 23, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. I'm going to keep going. In the same way also the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup. You do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Shall we pray? Father, the the bread and the cup are so dear to us. We want to do it right. We want to make sure that the attitude with which we approach this table, the atmosphere surrounding it, the emotions upon receiving it, And the resolutions upon leaving here are all in keeping with your will, your purpose for it. So help us observe it aright with the kind of attitude that you intended. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
These words, do this in remembrance of me, are well known to everyone. Matter of fact, a lot of them are inscribed on the front of the Lord's table. They're mentioned twice here in this passage of Scripture, in verse 24 and in verse 25. And Paul is rehearsing for the Corinthians the practice of the Lord's table or the Lord's supper or the communion or the Eucharist or whatever title you give it. But as we do with so much of religion, we've made the Lord's Supper into such a ritual that we've just about squeezed the life out of it. So this evening, we face an important question that I think Jesus wants us to remember. He said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. So obviously, he wants us to remember his body that's broken and blood shed, but how? How does Jesus want us to remember his body and his blood? What are we to remember about them? Well, we can go down one of two tracks. And there's some clues in our text that help us decide which track we should take, I think. The first track focuses primarily on Jesus' death, the process of his dying, its purpose behind it. And a lot of churches are preoccupied with this track, the, the death of Jesus. And his death was important because it was by his death that we were given forgiveness of sins. But those churches that place a priority on his death can make the Lord's Supper such a heavy and somber occasion with the beating of breast and agony over his suffering death for us. Such a mood existed in my church growing up. When we came to the Lord's table, we knew we had better be careful because if sin hadn't been confessed clearly enough, then a person could be judged guilty of violating the memory of Christ's death and bringing the punishment of God upon themselves. And I got carried out many a Lord's Supper as a child for not remembering it the right way. So that's one track we can follow, the fearsome, morbid approach to what Jesus wanted us to remember when he said this too in remembrance of me. But I think this second track is more in keeping with his intention because of the background. Paul founded the Corinthian church and pastored it for about a year and a half on his second missionary journey. And then he left the church and continued his journey for about five and a half years. And in that interim time, he learns a lot of problems have arisen in the Corinthian church and he's writing these letters to address these issues, these problems. In this particular case, apparently the Lord's Supper had turned into a fiasco. Everybody brought picnic lunches. And if you didn't bring one, those who did wouldn't share. And so those that had no food would not have anything to eat. People brought wine for partaking the Lord's table, and they were getting drunk. The celebration of the Lord's Supper had become nothing more than an opportunity for people to separate themselves and isolate themselves and and a feeling of better than and less than and just a, a lack of entire spiritual discernment. It was an embarrassment to the early church and to Paul. So Paul tells them pretty clearly that they had better get things straight. If Paul had established, this is the clue, if Paul had established the Lord's table as anything less than a joyful celebration, then it's unlikely that it could have evolved into this bawdy feast it had become. 
Evidently, Paul had established the Lord's table not as a morbid moment with times of deep scrutiny and self-examination where people were just beating their breast and clawing at their hearts. I think Paul must have told them that the table was one of triumph and that they should approach it rejoicing. With the passing of time and the absence of his his careful guidance and teaching in these past five and a half years, the rejoicing had become overboard and just become ridiculous. And Paul writes them to set things straight. So Jesus says, come and partake. And when, when we do that, what does he want us to remember? He wants us to remember his sacrifice with solemnity, yes. But not only his sacrifice. I, want, I think he wants us to remember the Lord's Supper with joy. Because every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you remember that my blood was shed for you, says Jesus. It was shed once and for all to cover all of your sin so that you never need live under condemnation ever again. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Never forget that when you partake of this bread, it's like Israel that got manna in the wilderness. There is nourishment to sustain you another day. I have forgiven you. I will enable you with my strength every day, says Jesus. It says, don't forget that when you're sick and afflicted, you don't have to wallow in your suffering. Jesus says, I'm your healer. If you feel plagued by Satan, remember that through the cross, I abolish all power of principalities and powers and made an open spectacle of them. So when we come to the Lord's table, what do you think Jesus wants us to remember? Do you think he wants to dominate his church by imposing guilt on a quarterly basis to those who come to remember his death by partaking of the Lord's Supper? Or is he the mighty Savior who wants us to remember that he has washed us from our sins and wants to be our strength every day? He has broken the power of sin and temptation and Satan's bondage and in no way can they dominate our lives anymore. What does he want us to remember? The one who died has said that everybody can come to him. It doesn't require, it doesn't require an earned acceptance to his table. He says, come and dine. Bring people in from the highways and hedges of life and make them feel welcome. And he opens it up to us. Any system or institution that, that seeks to restrict access to the Lord's table are not protecting its purity or preserving it. They are limiting its power to change lives, limiting people's opportunity to glorify the Lord Jesus when they partake. And so as we come to the table this evening, I want us to do so with joy and praise and thanksgiving because this, if there is ever a table of triumph, this is it. This is a table of joy. While we observe the Lord's Supper together, Let's do so in triumph or the grave, rejoicing in what our Lord Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. I think with that sense, that's the only way the Corinthian church could have abused the original understanding of the Lord's Supper because it began as a time of celebration and rejoicing. 
and just got out of hand. I hope tonight when we receive it that you do so with a spirit of gladness and joy and thanksgiving for what Jesus has done for you. And when we leave here, a spirit of power and strength. He has conquered sin and the grave. We are not shackled by it anymore. There is joy at this table. Let's pray. Father, as we come now to receive these elements, this bread, this little piece of bread is limitless in what it symbolizes. This small cup of juice representing the blood that was shed are symbols of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And so there is a somber spirit about it because of his death and suffering. But Father, tonight we choose to focus on the power of the resurrection that was made manifest on that Easter Sunday and is available to us today, to all who believe. So that we can say to brothers and sisters in Christ, whosoever will may come. This body and this blood, they are for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God has promised to forgive all who come to him in faith. And even tonight he forgives us if we just confess our sins and ask him to. He sets us free to live new lives in Jesus Christ. So we can live not with fear or dread, but secure in his power and love because nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. So let's rejoice in the Lord our God about his table. Our constitution and bylaws allows any professing Christian here this evening to receive these elements. You might be here tonight visiting with us because a child sang or a grandchild. But if Jesus is your Lord... This is his table, and he welcomes you here. Let's make preparation now to distribute it. Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered unto you, that the night when the Lord Jesus was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Shall we bow? Father, as we receive this bread, let it remind us of your body that was broken, that that wasn't taken from you, but was given by you that we might be forgiven and have new life and rejoice in Tifton, Georgia on 10-10-10. 2,000 years later, it still has power. It still frees us from our sin. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.
We're distributing the elements now here in the sanctuary. A little piece of bread is being shared with everyone here. But the good news is that the body of Christ transcends the world wherever you are. You can take a, a piece of bread, a, a small cracker, and let it symbolize for you Jesus' body that was broken for you to give you forgiveness of sins. You just ask Him, confess your sins, and allow Him to be your Lord and Savior. So you have a little piece of bread ready, maybe a little cup of juice, and receive it with us and be part of us tonight as we observe these elements. How can a tiny morsel mean so much? 
Because Jesus said, this is the bread that came down out of heaven. Not as the fathers ate and died, he that eateth this bread shall live forever. So take and eat. In the same way, Jesus took a cup and having held it up among his disciples, he blessed it and said, this is my blood which is shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father, as we come now to receive this cup, just a small cup, just a a sip of juice, and yet you say it has the power to wash away our sins and make us white as snow. And we confess, believing that this evening, our desperate need and our desire, Lord, for you to do just that for each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. can have that ready to receive the symbol of Jesus' blood that was shed to wash away your sins and make you white as snow. Right where you are, maybe in your kitchen, in your den, God is with us and he's with you. You may feel alone or forgotten, but let this Lord's Supper, this particular observance remind you of God's presence with you always and his love for you. Regardless of circumstances, he's with you now.
Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. So take and drink. I wish we had more details about that first Lord's Supper in the upper room. But one interesting detail that is added is the fact that they sang a song before departing. So we're going to sing a hymn of invitation, perhaps in the observance of the Lord's Supper. It's a sermon in itself, and you want to respond to it. Number 317, only trust him. I'll be at the front here to receive you if you need to profess your faith publicly. If you need to come and rededicate your life in response to what the Lord has done for you, if you'd like to join this church, do so now. We would welcome you. We're going to stand and sing 317, Only Trust Him, You Come.